Hello, and welcome to Detours, a Glory Sports podcast where I, David Stahl, digital editor of Glory Sports, sit down with sports figures who have achieved excellence in their fields through bold, unconventional, strange, and novel practices. From athletes to community leaders, sports psychologists to coaches, media personalities to front office executives, I'll be inviting guests on the program to show listeners how they might learn to explore excellence by paving detours of their own. Today's episode features a really special guest, Dave Bedini. For those who aren't familiar, Bedini is one of the most impactful figures in Canadian sports, music, and publishing. A renowned recording artist in his own right, Bedini has also published 13 books, some of which are known widely as the most unique, clever, and delightfully insightful books in the history of sports writing. Today, Dave's passion for storytelling manifests in the publishing of The West End Phoenix, a Toronto newspaper and digital publication focused on local, homegrown stories. Dave is truly one of the most incredible Canadian storytellers of this generation, and his accounts reflect some of his wild experiences as a globetrotting writer. Throughout our interview, we discuss how sports media has changed over the years, the combative relationship between athletes and media today, and the importance of celebrating unique experiences. He's the only Canadian to have been nominated for all three of Canada's main entertainment awards, the Gemini Award for television work, the Genie Awards for film work, and the Juno Awards for music, as well as being nominated on Canada's National Book Awards program, Canada Reads. So I'm confident that whoever you are, you'll be able to take so much value from Dave's insights. Please enjoy our conversation. Today, we welcome on acclaimed author, musician, and publisher Dave Bedini to the podcast. Dave, again, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. You wear so many hats, and I want to touch on all of them. Uh, obviously, what you've done throughout your career and what you're up to currently right now, which for me personally, I think is so, so important to the world of storytelling, especially as a sports publication, though. I want to start with how you first fell in love with that realm. So I'm wondering... Again, as a, a decorated and, and celebrated sports writer, who were some of the the athletes growing up for you who drove you to to fall in love with sports? And and maybe some of who were some of those storytellers? Um well yeah, two diff- different categories there. And thanks again for having me on. My pleasure to be talking with you. Um yeah, like those early sports, you know, writers were gods to me. You know, Trent Frayne and Milt Donnell and um, Jim Coleman and Scott Young, Allison Gordon, you know, uh, Stephen Brunt, Damian Cox a little bit later. But they were, yeah, they were, I was always amazed at, you know, the just the quality of writing, uh, especially for columnists who published, you know, four or five times a week. And then, you know, do, writing a column myself later, just realizing how hard it was to kind of keep it fresh. and. Um, so, and I would have read like the sports section is the section really I would have read. I, I wouldn't have been aware of any other city columnists or national columnists until I was a lot older. So, you know, and they could uh, elevate uh, ideas about uh, athletes with whom, you know, I was, I was really familiar with them and, and, and intimate with their, their, their play. And they could, you know, they they could describe something that I had seen in kind of an elevated way, uh, 
So I think it taught me a little bit about just what the role of the artist is, I suppose, you know, that can look mm-hmm. at something that everybody's seeing and paint it in a, in, in a, in a unique and, and bright, compelling way. And to do it, you know, on the regular too, right? Uh, that was, yeah, that was just kind of something, a skill to aspire to, I suppose, and a good lesson in terms of what, you know, how, how, how to make art kind of and how to do it well and effectively and regularly. Mm. And I like to think that does still exist in some forms. I think a, a website like The Athletic or The Ringer still takes on that really dedicated approach to to storytelling and fleshing out the personalities behind these athletes the other flip side of the coin a little bit in this digital age of sports media is sort of the the loudest is best approach and you see that in a lot of sort of debate format talk shows I'm, I'm wondering how the space has maybe changed or uh, maybe through a, a more positive light evolved um since since you were first reading these these columnists i think it's a little bit of both yeah i think i think the 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 ability for uh, the ability of um certain you know writers you mentioned the athletic to stay on top of their you know their respective sports and their worlds to be to be regarded for sure you know and writing in the immediate you know uh, when something happens there you know have a really interesting kind of perspective and depth of perspective but i think the i do think the language and the craft has um left a lot of a lot of sports writing unfortunately you know just there was a real gift of the language i think the language is more playful and just frankly just more innovative um Mm. and i think that's partly because you know sports writers in that time they had to be at the rink and they had to be at games every day and they traveled with the team. They were around. And so I think they almost had to figure out new ways of making it interesting for themselves. And I think mm. that came in the challenge of sort of developing language. Whereas now I think you find it's a product of economics, but you find very few people traveling regularly with the teams, mm. not on the road with them all the time. I think that's reflected in, in, in the work. Again, like there are there are inherent strengths for sure, and there's some writers that are that are really solid and really good and reliably good and interesting. Um, but it, in in a weird way, like the take is more important than the way you write about a game. The take is more important mm-hmm. than the way you write about it, perhaps, and that's a product of our you know our our digital age, where you know the 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 sharpest take or you know the most unique is the one that kind of, you know, that wins, you know, likes and, and views and that sort of thing, as opposed to kind of, a you know, more of a painted canvas, you know? Uh, so, and I think in newspapers as well, there's just less, there's less long form. Um, I mean, I love reading Bruce Arthur and, 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 and people like that, and, um, mm. their work, and they get to, they get to spin it out a little bit more and they're a bit, bit more of a traditional columnist, um, in terms of somebody who's writing for, you know, um, a website or a digital platform. So it's cyclical too. And we might kind of go, Mm. go back the other way. I hope we do. Yeah. I'm curious. And, and just to touch on some of the writers that you named previously too, and, and the process in which they told their stories, one that, um, 
you didn't name, but I feel like I'm, I'm taking a hazard of a guess that you would have loved. And your books really remind me of, of his work too, is George Plimpton, who was behind before my time, but I've had the chance posthumously to, to go back and read some of his work. And, you know, they were these humorous, really experiential pieces where he would, he would dive into the daily and, and really unique lives of these athletes. I'm, I'm wondering if you feel like something like that has space to exist. You mentioned it's cyclical, and I, I think it is a lot of the times a pendulum swing where people get fatigued with the extreme we're in right now and maybe want to go back to something a bit more authentic, something that feels like they're getting some genuine insight. I'm wondering if you think there's space for that, whether it's on the writing side or whether it lives through through video or another medium. I mean, I think in the you know, 1972, three you know george plimpton plimpton could call the philadelphia flyers and ask and you know offer up the idea that maybe he he could be the backup goaltender for you know the bruins uh, against the flyers in an exhibition game and they would go like well that's a great idea sure um like that just wouldn't you know that would never yeah. happen today you know I, I so i don't it's not just on the writer's side but i think it's on just the general kind of sports side too right professional mm -hmm. side where players and teams are just so you know it's a it's a locked suitcase for the most part too it's so much mm -hmm. harder you know to get um to put yourself in the position you know for yeah. experiential writing and you know i i did what i did with tropic of hockey um and to lesser extent baseballissimo partly because i could you know and those were you know smaller smaller leagues and smaller places um where especially with hockey as a Canadian um, traveling abroad. And I found this in Russia too, you know, like as a, as a Canadian hockey person, writer traveling abroad, the doors were wide open for me more so on the other side of the world than they would have been, been as in Canada, certainly um, <clears throat> with the NHL hockey Canada and international and that international groups have always been a bit more generous and open in terms of um, allowing me in, like trying to get on the inside of the Leafs would be impossible. But I love that when that writing shows up, you know, I think Sean Fitzgerald did a story about his, you know, I don't know whether it was coaching his son's team or maybe playing or something, but um, that's, that's always really great. But I also think like a lot of those books and, and Plimpton is amazing. And I, I did, I tried to, I lobbied and, and I was successful in um, applying to be his, assistant uh he was due to come to the humber school of uh writers this is probably about 15 years ago but um so joe curtis who ran the school said that um he'd be happy to have me you know um uh shepherd mr plimpton around and cut his banana slices for him in the morning that sort of thing and i was i was game but george had to cancel his appearance and then he passed away so I never got a chance to meet him but he's phenomenal and everybody should read him for sure but also, I think another thing about those books, and even with with my books, you know, there was a time where advances were strong enough, and you know, the industry was strong enough, and um, writers were held at it, held in a certain regard that you could take, you know, two years or however long it took to, mm -hmm. you know, go travel around the world and play hockey, or you know, or play for the Detroit Lions and park the rest of your life because you know you were properly compensated but there just isn't really the money in that anymore for publishers to um you know allow people to park their lives to go have these experiences and write about them unfortunately so i'm grateful and lucky that i was able to do what i did when i did it because i don't really know if you could do it 
unless you were supported by grants um, mm. and a really, um, you know, a robust publisher, it would be hard to do these days. Yeah. And I, I think what you were, well, you touched on Tropical Pocky, which, which I did want to dive into a little bit as well, because I think it, it does really symbolize uh, a loss that we're talking about, a loss of access in particular. And I think we've really reframed the relationship between athletes and media as this really sort of divisive and, and combative dynamic where it, that didn't used to be the case. And I think what gets lost is a lot of the time, look, we're all, we all have the same mission, the dynamic between player league and media of growing the game at the end of the day. I, I'm wondering, hockey to me is the perfect example of this because we do get personality in, I think, most of the major sports leagues. And to me, hockey is the game that suffers the most from the differentiation between how exciting the on-ice product is and how sort of maybe the lack of excitement from the off-ice personalities or what we're given. I'm wondering if you think leagues are, are suffering a bit from the protection that they they feel like they're giving their own players now uh the ottawa senators you know uh sale uh will cost the new owner 800 million dollars i think uh you know people like us who love hockey i think we could look back and sort of say think think that it is suffering but kind of don't think it is i mean Mm. pro sports pro sports is just for the time being i think it's pretty ironclad in terms of you know um just its economy i think it goes up and down a little bit but it seems really quite strong so the fact that you can't get into players dressing rooms anymore like at the mm-hmm. unless it's a specified hour you know after practice or whatever but um you know players are brought out to the media in sort of ante rooms as opposed to the actual inner sanctum and mm-hmm. um, i think baseball was the last i know the jays clubhouse was always really accessible i was so disheartened to find out recently that it's you know, off limits now that you can't get in there. Cause that's where, that's where a lot of the, you know, storytelling comes from, right? It's, you know, Reed Johnson had a picture of Ty Cobb over his, his, um, you know, in his locker. And, you know, I remember Todd Stottlemyre was folding his shirts a certain way to, to go on the road. And Jerry Haworth came up to him and told him he was doing it wrong. And just a lovely little scene. And so I think that's, that's, that's obviously changed a lot. Um, and I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. I know some of the older sports writers have talked about it. I think it's just different. But there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of hockey writers in particular, I think the same is true of all sports, who've never met a professional athlete, right? If just like mm. they don't have relationships with players. They their study of the game is is completely different than it would have been for you know, people of the generation before me and partly my generation as well. I don't, I don't know if the, if the reportage and the writing necessarily suffers because you can learn a lot about a player just by watching them for sure. But I do Mm. think, I do think a lot of the storytelling has really suffered. And I had a longstanding feud with James Myrtle about this. And I was, and it was when the, when there was the, the rise of, analytic writing basically and i just i was kind of just arguing in the name of poetry i was like well all all of your information is solid and interesting but just the, the storytelling is I, I just need a, i need a story i need i need mm-hmm. to know about people and i i do think for the unwashed for those that you know don't follow the game 
I don't think it's growing into places that where that the game isn't followed because we don't know about the humanity of the players and the teams and yeah. you get to know that it's like anybody it's like you get to know a person better the more time you spend with them and the more time you're around the team and the more time you, times you talk to a player and again it's like it's that time you know where uh, you know the game isn't central maybe it's like a tuesday and the team doesn't play for five days and there's kind of when things relax a little bit, that's when you get the great stories, right? And that's when you really have a, a genuine talk conversation. Those 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 those, those um, spaces don't exist anymore, too. So, I, I mean, I think the game is still really. I don't think the game has suffered, but I think um, in terms of uh, yeah, the game's organic growth, and you know, because we all have those moments where you're trying to convince someone why a sport is great, or why a team is great, or why a play, player is great. They're never going to yeah. know unless they can, you know, unless they have a reason to to watch, right? So there's fewer yeah. and fewer reasons, I think, for for people to tune in. Unfortunately, yeah, that that's such a great point. I think in terms of organic growth, you nailed it on the head. Where if I if I'm to use sort of a personal anecdotal example, for me, Formula One is is sort of my contemporary example behind that because that that was something that wasn't on my radar whatsoever. And yet Netflix's Drive to Survive series, I, I grew to know the personalities. And now I'm genuinely getting up to watch the races themselves. I know about the sport. Yeah. And, but it was yeah. not the technical aspect that drew me into it at all. It was, okay, so I've got my foil in Max Verstappen. I've got my sort of prototypical hero in Lewis. And, and you have these archetypes and you learn the subtleties within them. I'm wondering how you think that, because again, that's with the cosine of Formula One. And um, you you have hard knocks with the cosine of the NFL. I'm wondering if that storytelling changes when you know it is institutionalized. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, and again, like <clears throat> with uh, drive, drive to Survive and some of the other um, properties, you know, it's that marriage between um, institution and artist, basically, right? There, you know, the mm. the minds behind the Netflix series are, you know, those are creative individuals that, you know, they're not, they're not making that show because they're trying to market the show. They're just trying to look for good stories and tell the stories. Right. So yeah, you can't just leave it to the institutions because, because they're just going to operate the way banks operate, you know, yeah. um, they're just going to close, close, close it off and protect, um, their own story, which is really dull. It's just really dull, you know? And then uh, unfortunately a lot of kind of that, vibrant storytelling is sort of mistaken for gossip and and internet virality when that's not really storytelling either you know the phil kessel and his hot dogs like that's not really a story i mean that's the kind of thing that will find a place on the internet you know and i'm not disparaging steve simmons either because i like steve but um mm. stuff like that so so we can't mistake that either for you know depth of understanding of you know uh, you know uh, someone's personality it's a little bit but it's not really enough so but yeah i think it has to be given over to and you saw what happened with drive to survive like it was they put those that storytelling in the hands of some you know outsiders basically which hmm. i mean if f1 if f1 can do it, i mean talk about an economic colossus right if f1 can yeah. do it then anybody can do it too
from this conversation, it should be <laughs> absurdly obvious, I would hope to anyone, uh, your commitment to storytelling. Uh, but maybe for those who, who aren't familiar about your background, I would a recommend that they look up, correct me if I'm wrong, your, your 13 books and, and yep. countless, countless stories that you've, you've written, um, outside of just long form publications, but your current publication, West End Phoenix, again, I I've been subscribed for quite some time and, and dive into, um, every issue and, and tear through them rapidly. I'm wondering if you can maybe a give people a little bit of insight as to what the West End Phoenix is and what its purpose is sort of what gap is it trying to fill? Well, um, thanks for being a subscriber. First of all, you're awesome. That's great. That's really great. Second of all, yeah, it's, um, you know, I was in Yellowknife, uh, working uh, up there. I was writing a book called Midnight Light about, um, I wanted to write a city book about the North. So I went to, went to Yellowknife and, um, I figured that a way to get to know the town in relatively short order was to, to work at the local newspaper, which was, which is the Yellowknifer. So I asked if I could, you know, embed there and be a reporter for half a year and, they said I could. So I wrote this book about, it's really a community newspaper. Um, uh, Yellowknife itself is, is, is really small, 20,000 people, but it's a city paper. It covers the city. Um, but, um, so when I came back to Toronto, I looked around and, and looked for our community newspapers and they were all, they'd all been bought by Metroland. So they, they were just glorified flyers. Really. There was no content to speak of. And I, you know, I remember the early days in the seventies and the Etobicoke Guardian, Etobicoke Gazette, like they covered my band's first couple of concerts and stuff. And Alan Mackey, the sports writer, um, who was later sports writer for Globe Mail and Calgary Herald, he um he was a sports writer there. So it was really neat content. So when I came back, I thought, well, there's no community newspapers, no good community news- newspapers left. Um, what if we started one? So I had a bunch of people in the backyard, my birthday, like 2016, maybe, and 15. And we talked about it and then just decided to do it. Um, so yeah, we're filling kind of the community news gap, certainly in the West End, but we have readers all around the city, and it's a it's a broadsheet newspaper that's still uh, delivered by volunteers once every five to six weeks, right across the city, and we mail seven hundred across the country too, so they're and around the world, so people are kind of reading it everywhere, and it was just like I think it's a bit of a peek between the houses, you know, we want we want our we won't tell the story. We won't tell the stories of our neighbors from our neighborhood in our community, because those stories, you know, in a digital world, again, like there are like Godzillas, like there are stories that just dominate our news feeds, and 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 local news tends to get lost in that mix. And we wanted to make sure it didn't. And it's a way of, of people getting to know each other through, you know, well written, well reported um, journalism. And um, so the broadsheet is 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 kind of the it's the lead parade float, but we have, um, you know, really, we're not a wax mustache. We, we have a very lively Instagram and uh, uh, social media presence and stuff too. And we do a lot of events too. So yeah, seven years later, here we are. It's crazy. We were, we were just, you know, life and death to get through our first year and thrilled mm-hmm. to do a second one. And yeah, so it's good. We, um, the journey continues and always looking for supporters and, we're nonprofit, so it's really like the, the the we exist. Our business model is, is is community and city support by those who read it. You know, whether it's our mm-hmm. advertisers or subscribers, and we have some really generous patrons and donors as well who believe in journalism, especially mm-hmm. community ju- journalism. And so that's my that's kind of all I do now. It's kind of my 
I didn't really want a full-time job, you know, when I turned 55, but here we are. And it's a, it's been a blast. I, I really like doing it and such a great team and, and people really care. Can't say I saw it coming, but I'm, but I'm glad it happened. I love that. And we'll be sure to obviously have all those, those links in the episode description as well. So people can follow along because it's, it's really well worth. It. And I think the, the project at large really is so emblematic of your career resume thus far of, of just creating something, whether it be in music or authorship or publishing that you genuinely believe in and, and feel like is, is worth sharing with the world. And then there is this organic following that, that stems from it. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit here. You are the only Canadian, I'm, I'm sure you know, that's been nominated for all three of Canada's uh, main entertainment awards, being the Gemini Award for television work, the Genie Awards for film work, um, the Juno Awards for music, of course, uh, as well as being nominated on Canada's National Book Awards program. So I think a lot of what we're talking about now, like you mentioned, the the publishing world, it's not the same as it was in the 70s. Neither is sports journalism. Neither, I'm, I'm sure in many regards, is, neither is the music industry. So I'm, I'm wondering, we have a lot of young people who follow our, um, our, our digital publication and a lot of young um, students who are just getting out of sport media programs and kind of struggling to decide what industry to fall into or what to do within that industry. Can you maybe speak to the value for those who are daunted by the unlimited options, speak to the, the value of diverse interests and, and again, sort of diversifying your taste and your expertise. I don't know if I, I don't know if I could speak kind of specifically to that, but um, there's three kind of, well, just when you were talking, there, I was thinking of three things. Um, one is, um, I mean, I think you have to have, I think like the pursuit of, you know, your interest and curiosity is really important and kind of whatever you love to do, um, especially, you know, we're talking about sports journalism or anything in the sporting realm. And it's, it's unique because it's, because it's your love. It's, and, and it's, it's unique because it's from your perspective. And I think that's important to remember. Just not being like everyone else, being like yourself, right. is really important, you know? Um, and I also, also think, you know, uh, uh, Lawrence Ritter wrote The Glory of Their Times, which is a great book. I think that he published that in the 80s, but he went back, uh, went around America, and he looked for um, baseball players, surviving baseball players, who had played the t during the time of Babe Ruth, basically, around there, like from the 1910s yeah. to the 19, 19, late 1930s. And he was looking for a guy named Sam Crawford, and he found himself in a laundromat, you know, in small 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 town midwest american state and um yeah finally like he had to do laundry because it was you know his clothes were disgusting so he's sat, sitting in this laundromat and the guy comes in you know with a cowboy hat uh smoking a cheroot and uh they start talking the guy's like what's your deal and sam says oh man i'm a sports writer i'm writing a book about these all these baseball players and this one guy i mean, trying to find a guy named the guy's name sam crawford you wouldn't know him would you and the guy said well i should known as i'm him it was sam crawford who just 
sat next to this guy in this laundromat. So, you know, the writer Lawrence was able to discover this guy because he put him himself in a position to be discovered. And Priscilla Uphol was my friend, late poet. She was amazing. She's a great, great Leafs fan. She's a great writer. And she had a gig um, writing poems during the Vancouver Olympics. After every Canadian athlete would win a gold medal, she would write a poem and then and then um, uh, voice the poem at Canada House, and they would then they would just before they gave the um, the the athlete their official official medal. And I said to Priscilla, "Man, like what a great gig! How did you get that gig?" And she said, "I invented it." And I think that's kind of like instructive too. Jay yeah. Baruchel says. Um, Find something you love to do and trick somebody into paying you to do it. I think all of that, all of those kind of things apply to people that are sort of starting on, you know, on their journey. You know, you have to be fearless. You have to kind of believe in what you do and you have to be relentless. I think there's so much room for storytelling um, in the sporting galaxy. We are in a kind of mono verse, you know, with hockey in this city and it's getting way way more open but there there's so many stories to tell about about athletes that you know don't look like mitch marner you know and athletes that play different games and the stories that they bring to to all these different games that never would have been reported on or written about you know in in the 70s or 80s and i think there's a lot of room for it to grow in those spaces and stuff and and so that's i think you know being a, a young person coming up in in that business um, does it possesses possesses its own kind of excitement because I think in terms of sports writing storytelling and sports media I think it's um, I think it's it's evolving uh, a lot mm. and you, you touched on something there as well of finding those cracks in the storytelling the stories that no one else is perhaps paying attention to or curious enough to dive down the rabbit hole. I'm wondering if there was a particular interview or story during your career, I would imagine not the biggest name, maybe quite the opposite, in fact, that you were really proud of telling, maybe an idea that you were proud to to come up with or um, a nugget of information you were able to pull out of someone, maybe a bit more of a niche interview that when you finish that, wow, I, I'm really proud that I thought to be curious enough to, to go after that one. Um, yeah, there's a couple, you know, we, um, we, we created like fake press clippings. Like I would clip like stories from like the Etobicoke said. And then my friend, um, worked for a university newspaper and I would just like paste, he would create my byline and I would, I just faked all these press credentials and I sent, um, a press pack off to the Buffalo Sabres and and uh, off to the organizers of Rendezvous 87 trying to get press accreditation to those events and both times they um, they were accepted and so you know I found myself you know meeting Gordy Gordy Howe and and Gretzky and um, Tony Esposito and Stan Makita and uh, Yard Curry and especially Rendezvous 87 but you know, with the Sabres, I found myself in an NHL dressing room for the first time. And these aren't specific stories, but just being put in those kind of positions, you kind of have to do the, the you know, the, almost the foolish 
gesture, right? You have to kind of, yeah, you have to put yourself out on, on a tightrope a little bit to sort of try to, you know, gain access to places that you want to tell stories about. I went up, mm. just, I remember going up to Michael Stipe when REM were playing in, um, at the concert hall in Toronto on their uh, Reckoning tour, their second album. And I snuck in during sound check. You know, I just managed to find out an open back door and waited for them to finish their sound check. And I went up to Michael Stipe, who'd never done, he hadn't done a single inter- Canadian interview to that point and asked him a really long convoluted question about the heroin in Harbor Coat, the first song from Reckoning. And he listened and then he said, you know, it's not every day I want somebody coming up to give me their impression of one of my songs, but to hear something like that is really refreshing. And mm-hmm. so then we, we did the interview and it was amazing, you know, just to get, I got that interview because I, you know, again, like, you know, went to these uh, measures to, to put myself in the position to do that. And that's just kind of always been the case from all of my writing, really, you know, like mm-hmm. my Keon and me book too, it was about trying to get him to talk to me. That's the whole book is that my pursuit of him, you know, to try to yeah. try to get to try to talk to him. And, and eventually I did, you know? Um, so, you know, I think when you, all of those ideas too, you have to sort of figure out a way to be creative with them as well. Like a good idea is one thing, but you know, uh, making art out of it is another thing. So I think they kind of have to go hand in hand. And I think again, like once you, if you have a story that you really love that you want to tell, getting that sort of momentum and traction and telling the story makes for better art just because you're so excited when it's happening, you know, and a lot of the, the, a lot of the Russian travel I did for our second hockey movie in Russia was like that as well. We would just, you know, try to, we had ideas about, you know, how we could get to certain players and, um, and we just got, you know, got lucky because we stayed with it. And, um, and we're able to to come away with those stories. So, yeah, um, it's ha- it's happened it's happened a lot. I'm I'm lucky to say that um, a lot of instances where those those kind of stories have have been able to have been told. I really really like to be optimistic and think there is so much more space for for future Dave Bedinis and in the future and and publications like the West End Phoenix to have a um, sort of a permanent space in in our fabric of storytelling because yeah they are such treats um i implore everybody again to please check out all of the the links in our description um as well as to to check out uh the books that you alluded to which we'll also list below because they are evergreen if there if there ever was uh, such a thing like they are truly truly um <laughs> they still hold up today well, and I'm, I'm like, listen, another thing too, about just this world, like it's so much easier to go from, you know, idea to piece of writing to publish to, right? Like, so there's, mm-hmm. well, the opportunities maybe at the beginning aren't as well supported. There's so many more opportunities as, you know, to get people to read your stuff. Yeah. Too. So I think that's a beautiful thing. And yeah, there'll be people coming along that do what I do a million times better. And that's the whole idea, right? So yeah, it's great. It's great. Thanks so much for tuning into our episode of Detours featuring Dave Bedini. Be sure to stay tuned for more insight from Canada's greatest sports figures. We have some awesome episodes coming up, so we invite you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the interview. 
And in the meantime, we also invite you to take any nugget of knowledge that might help you find your own detour. Who knows? You might be our next guest. <laughs>